0: Com, I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I work for him podcast.
1: Hey, we're fueling the faith and work women five days a week right here on I work for him. Thank you for tuning in. Want to make sure that we direct you out to our website. Please check us out online at our website. I work for him.com. That's I work the number four him.com or on Facebook, Instagram, any of those places. Just search for I work for him. However you're listening, just make sure you tell a friend and if you have time, call our listener line, give us some feedback, make some recommendations on on testimonies you'd like broadcast out here on iWork for. Him. Maybe it's ministries that you're familiar with that are that are discipling people to connect their faith and their work or maybe it's a somebody in their workplace that has an amazing testimony. Call the iWorkframe listener line and let us know. 866-713-9675, 866-713-9675, or 866-713-WORK. All right, there's little doubt that we all struggle with money. When we have a little, we want more. When we have more, we need a little more. When we have too much, we buy lots of stuff, and that becomes a burden. When is enough enough? When does money become an idol? Why was Jesus so concerned about us and our money and our possessions? He knew he knew that money would be a constant thorn in our sides. Today, we bring on first time, first time guest, Todd DeKreiter with the with family Meridian to talk with us about the eight most common money myths. And you'll find out why he's an expert on this. Todd DeKreiter. Welcome to I work for him.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Jim. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. I'm excited. I, I loved your book. Uh, you
1: know, I only got to read one chapter because I got the book right before we, we broadcast, but I got to read that one chapter on the eight money myths. And man, I love your writing style. Loved really just the message and love the fact because I'm a crown financial ministry guy. I mean, I understand that Jesus was very concerned about us and how we handle our money and possessions. So I was super excited that you took time to write your book, navigating life with more than enough. And people can get where can people get this book as we talk about it all day long today. Navigating Life with More Than Enough, where can they find that book?
2: Yeah, Amazon's probably the easiest way. Um, we're at, uh, there's at familymeridian.com as well, but Amazon's probably the best way where all books are sold. We're just online on that platform.
1: All right. It's much easier to look up the title than to spell his last name. Navigating Life with More Than Enough by Todd DeKreiter. And that's D-E-K-R-U-Y-T-E-R. All right, Todd, for every first-time guest on the I Work yep. crime radio show, we always ask this question. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus Christ?
2: Yeah, I, I accepted Christ at the early age of four. Um, I have three older brothers and, and was always in church. And for me, it was the story of Daniel. So, though, I remember the flannel graph at VBS – and was sitting there and talking with uh, Pastor Sherbert about what the faith that Daniel had, and realized I'd never made faith personal. So that was the beginning of the journey. But uh, when I became 16, it became personal to me as I began to figure out I, I need to live this out every day, and Jesus needs to be something. Matthew five sixteen has always been a big verse for me. Let your light shine before men, in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's kind of been a life verse ever since. Of um, I want to live for Jesus, and, and every day's day's His.
1: So, since 16, that's pretty fantastic. That, that's a nice road. And, and the fact that you're introduced to Christ at four. I love the flannel graph reference because there's people listening to the show going, what's a flannel graph? What's a For f-? real. I remember the flannel graph of Noah's Ark thinking, how did all those big animals fit in Noah's Ark? But I went to Ark Encounter and when I found out that, yeah. that that Noah brought on the small ones, not the big ones, because the big ones wouldn't have fit. All right.
2: the, the flannel graph, the, graph is wrong, Jim.
1: flannel graph. And it was Merv Sherman, Mrs. Sherman. She was was my science school teacher that loved the flannel graph. All right, so when you hear I work for him, how does that resonate with you and how you operate each and every day?
2: I've always felt too businessy for church and too churchy for business. And so um, I've wrestled back and forth with ministry and business so many times. And so for me, um, having a calling and a purpose to work is, is, is dignifying and God honoring and biblical. And that part of it, I think more people need to hear about how the Sunday impacts the nine to five uh, for everybody else. It's, it's not just making widgets or whatever it is you're doing. Um, We're working for the Lord, not for men. Well, in that perspective, it's
1: it's nice to be able to say that, but put, making that a reality, I mean, how many right. sermons have you ever heard that, that talked about Jesus's reputation in the marketplace? How many sermons have you heard that your calling in the marketplace is just as significant as that of the calling of a missionary overseas or the pastor in the pulpit?
2: Yeah, well, part of it is I think a lot of pastors are burnt out, honestly, Jim. And so they are going back to their calling I had a seminary prof who said, all you have to go on is your call. Go back to your call. And I think a lot of pastors rail on that one, forgetting that most of their audience, uh, if not all of their audience, doesn't have that same call. And so uh, they don't understand, for the most part, having most of them never been in vocational uh, outside of vocational ministry. And so it's just a different paradigm. And so ministries like this, would need to teach them what it's like to have a call that applies to the nine to five in a way that's not about merely spreading the gospel. But I think our, what we do with excellence, name of Jesus is is hugely impactful. And honestly, there's folks that will never darken the door of a church that in a marketplace we get to minister to all the time, merely by our excellence. And them knowing we are Christian is, is huge and let alone all the other things that go with it. But uh, yeah, totally agree. Cool. We need more sermons on this. I love
1: that reference that, you know, if the numbers are now between 80 and 85 percent of the country, they don't go to church at all. And so the only yeah. way to reach them with the gospel is in the workplace and in our neighborhoods yeah. for the retired people. All right. Luke twelve fifteen says this. Mm-hmm. G, then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, which means the bumper sticker was wrong. He who dies with the most toys wins. That was a lie. I thought that that was scripture.
2: Yeah, no, the the fun thing about this verse is a couple things is uh, Jesus says, watch out. He doesn't say watch out for other sins like lying or or, or adultery. You know, your most part, you know, you're doing those sins, but there's something hidden about greed. And the other thing that's interesting is it says, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. There's more than one kind, right? It's not just vanilla. (laughs) Um, You know, I I thought there was just one thing. So, and and, yeah, we've got to watch out against it. And and, uh, Tim Keller pointed out in a sermon on this verse that I think we need to start with the assumption that at certain point, this is true of me, that I'm struggling with greed, though I might not be aware of it in the mirror, that we need to start with the assumption that to a certain extent, I'm being impacted by greed.
1: So why do you think Jesus spent so much time talking about money and possessions? What did Jesus know about money and possessions that we need to know right now at the beginning of this conversation today? And I work for him.
2: Yeah. So I I think money is an amplifier of life. Right. If you're a nice person and not making a lot of money and you make more money, you're going to be a nice person. But just with more zeros behind what you can do. And so um, it amplifies life. Right. And back in Jesus's day, there wasn't exactly a dollar signs and all that kind of stuff that we could quantify and liquidate our assets. And so it still was a competitor back then. It still is now. It just takes on a lot of different forms. And so for me, we need to watch out for and be on the alert for it. And it's the number one competitor because it can take so many different ways. And and to this point here, we made it Luke 12. It's, it's hidden. There's something about greed that's hidden that we're not aware of. And I think to say it this way, I think money reveals what we easily spend money on reveals where our idols are kind of the sin behind the sin. And so What I easily spend money on can show what the the details and the sin behind what I'm really struggling with really is, and so it's very revealing uh, where we spend our money on, and goes down to the deeper roots of everything.
1: All right, so let's just we still have a couple minutes left in this segment. Why don't you just introduce people to Family Meridian? What is Family Meridian all about?
2: Yeah, Family Meridian is a fun uh, nonprofit. We basically are trying to help families stay together when money so easily pulls us apart. And the stats are not in, in our favor, especially for those who are entrusted with much. Uh, 90% of estate plans fail by the third generation. And uh, the unique piece as well is 80% of those who are wealthy are new to being wealthy. They, they grew up poor, middle class, and they're, they're not really accustomed to this world. And so we wanted to start a ministry that was serving uh, those folks on the top end. We, at the end of the day, we want all families to thrive, the electrician and the plumber, as well as Bill Gates. Um, but we just saw a need in the marketplace of folks that weren't serving those on the top end. And we figured uh, we we should head into that. All right, but there's
1: just so much more that you're not saying. I mean, you you wrote this book, navigating life with more than enough. So you really have a niche in talking to people. How do you describe them?
2: Uh, high capacity. High That's capacity.
1: The, Why do you like, use the words high capacity?
2: Yeah. Nobody likes all the terms around super rich or ultra high net worth or all those things are kind of derogatory, affluent. You know, nobody themselves thinks they're rich. Right. So rich. There's several studies on this. PNC is done when a bank. And there's there's lots of other ones that if I'm making seventy five thousand a year, I think somebody who's rich is somebody who makes one hundred fifty thousand. So it's double. Or if I have two million of assets, I'm not rich. Somebody who has uh, six million is rich. So it's double the asset's Uh, and almost double the assets, almost double the income. So, nobody thinks they're rich. Outside of those who have $20 and up, then they kind of think they're rich. But for the most part, nobody thinks they're rich. And so, uh, they have high capacity, and they can agree they do. And so, that's kind of the word we use to describe them.
1: We're having an incredible conversation today with Todd DeKreider about the eight money myths that impact all of us. Todd, what's your title with Family Meridian? Are you like super dude, His Excellency? What's your title at Family Meridian?
2: Uh, I'm actually the president and the chief whimsy officer. Ah,
1: president and chief whimsy officer at Family Meridian. And of course, we're going to have to ask fan, uh, Chief
2: Whimsy officer? Yeah, I, we, we wanted to have fun, and we think life's too short to not have fun. Uh, and uh, I like whimsy. So, my family, a couple of years back, uh, my wife and my four kids did a, a thing about coming up with our family values, and we came up with dependence on Jesus. Uh, fantastic generosity and whimsy. Just because that defines kind of who we are. We like having fun. We like being silly, and we uh, we value whimsy.
1: Can you describe whimsy, though? Can we can we paint a picture of whimsy? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's winsomeness, it's lightheartedness, it's being fun, it's being able to have a great big belly laugh. It's the the thing when you're connecting with your friend and haven't seen in a while, and just pick up right where you left off and are, are having a good old time. And and your sides hurt and your eyes are crinkling because you're having fun laughing.
1: All right. I'll leave that, Chief Whimsy Officer, with Family Meridian. I'll leave that for now, but I might go back to it. All right, Todd, let's just reintroduce people that maybe just tune into right now. Family Meridian, the nonprofit that you run as president. Tell me how you are helping people. Tell me what it is that you do at Family Meridian.
2: Yeah, we're, we help families stay together when money easily pulls them apart. And we primarily do that through events uh, with high-capacity families and their re- resources. So, we have a couple of books that are out. And this year, we're actually probably launching uh, a print magazine about family business and family legacy coming from a biblical worldview.
1: You help families stay together when money is pulling them apart or other things. What, what And I was trying to write it down as fast as you said it. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So we're looking, we're in the legacy space. So it's um, the non-financial issues of wealth and estate planning that are really geared towards family unity. And so there's lots of folks out there that can help with the investments or writing the documents or taxes, all that kind of stuff. We like focusing on the family issues. So it's, it's helping communication. It's helping relationships. It's looking at the intellectual capital, the relational capital, not just the financial capital that families are facing and working with.
1: All right, You wrote this book, Navigating Life with More Than Enough, and and I got to just read one chapter and prep for the show today, the Eight Money Myths chapter, and I really want to hit into that. But I want to know, how did you get to be an expert of talking with people uh, about navigating life with more than enough, those high-capacity people? What makes you an expert in doing that?
2: Oh, I I don't claim to be an expert. Um, My family background is that of of, from a family of affluence. My dad and grandfather sold a garbage company. My dad retired when he was 45. And uh, I've seen the insides and outs of this. I've been a pastor for about uh, seven years. And uh, I spent about 10 years as a financial planner, as an executive at a wealth management financial planning firm, uh, primarily bringing in new advisors. And so I, I wouldn't say expert for sure, but I'm definitely a journeyman who's Researched a lot. I spent about a half a day a week reading books, uh, and I got a master's degree in Christian studies from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. But um, that's my background. But uh, my passion for this is just seeing families go through stuff that I think there's solutions for. And for the most part, uh, folks that struggle with money, and it seems weird, I know, for people to hear struggle with money, um, th- they do so by themselves. And uh, having seen uh, friends and family, and particularly my grandmother walk through some of these struggles, I just went, you know, what if there was an organization that could step into this space and, and work with? With these people and truly have a heart to serve them. So
1: what kind of issues did your family go through that you said, I want to help families not go through what my family went through because my dad sold this business, he retired at 45. What, what kind of issues did you guys have to deal with?
2: Yeah, I'll speak to my wife and I more so than my extended family. But my wife and I just saw that um, we are calloused. So um, I went on a mission trip when I was in high school, actually, to, to Ecuador with the Wadani Indians that were famous for killing Jim Elliott. And I remember being in that situation and, and just kind of judging their, their poverty, the fact that they're in a, in a you know, kind of a wood hut with no sides. And that was it. And, and I live in this world where there's air conditioning and I get too mad of the, the water not turning on quick enough to be hot. Um, with no credit for any of that, but yet judging them for the fact that they're sitting around in a hut struggling for daily existence. And, and I, at a certain point in that that trip, I, I went, man, how ugly is my heart that I'm judging these folks and taking credit for the things of America that I have absolutely nothing to deal with. Um, it's that kind of stuff. Is what money does to your heart of entitlement and making and taking for granted things that we should be grateful for, not entitled to or expecting to be there. Um, it's the heart stuff. It's not the... Any other thing you can think of? It's, it's that level for me that was was difficult and kind of eye opening, um, shocking. It's just it, it's it's that level. It's the soul level, um, non financial issues that really kind of make me sick of of my sin, honestly.
1: Well, and but you're a Christ follower. That may be a little bit different for people that aren't Christ followers. They they may be struggling, but they don't know
2: what that struggle is. Yeah, I think money money's sneaky in how it gets a hold of your heart.
1: I like that. That is that's a good word.
2: Yeah. Well, it's just, it's um, we live in a world that's just drenched in advertising about all the stuff that I have to have and need to have. Right. It's, it's, I got to have heated seats in my car, though. I live in the South. It's, you know um, it's the things I expect my habits that I I have to have. Of course, I need to have that in my house, granite countertops. And I tell myself it's because, you know, the resale value of my house, but I want people to come over and look in my kitchen and think I'm impressive. Right. It's, it's that kind of odd setup where I'm, I'm worried about, and I say these nice lines about the reason why I'm buying, Buying a new car is it's reliable, but you know, my 10 year old Honda or Hyundai is not going to die anytime, but you know, I'd really just want to look cool when I show up next to my buddy who bought a new Lexus. Right. So it's that kind of stuff that it's sneaky, but we don't say it for what it is. We, we want to say it's I'm being prudent. That's my favorite line. I grew up from a family that's Americanized Dutch, and and I I like to take pride in the fact that I don't need X Y Z these you know whatever Gucci or Armani or whatever. Um, But my grandpa's line was, "I buy once, so I buy well." Um, Great, and that just got him to buy more expensive stuff. Uh, And I use the same logic on my own self, and I just find that when I find myself changing the language to make it kind of sound flowery or noble. As opposed to, I just want to buy something because I want it. You know, that doesn't sound noble. I have to sound noble in my own head. I'm a good salesman. So <laughs> I, I say great lines to myself of why I need certain things. And it's just me lying to myself to get what I want. It's, it's yeah, it's a different motivation. So I think we got to call it what it is.
1: No more honest word of, has ever been spoken on iWorkFram than those transparent words by Todd DeKreiter. He is the president of Family Meridian. And you're learning more about Family Meridian. But let me just talk about his book, Navigating Life with More Than Enough. Todd this book. Look, can we give away a copy of your book today? Are you willing sure. to send out one? All right. So navigating life with more than enough. Tell people what they're going to experience if they read this book.
2: Yeah. I-, I wanted to look at the non-financial issues surrounding money. So what is, what is more than enough, um, which I just simply define affluence as having more than enough, but what does that do to your heart? What does that do to your relationships? And particularly uh, um, the most commented chapter I've seen is what does it do to your kids? Mm -hmm. Um, and so how, how do I train my kids to not be entitled to not demand stuff and, and how, how do we set up there to do well so that they're grateful instead of entitled
1: I mean, I love that. So if you want to get a copy of Navigating Life with More Than Enough, call the I Work For Him listener line 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. OK, we're talking today about the eight money myths from chapter two of your book, Navigating Life with More Than Enough. Before we get into this conversation, aren't these myths just important for people who are really rich? I mean, this doesn't really apply to you and me.
2: Yeah, it's if we look at ourselves in the history of the world, um, you know, the, the being in the one percent doesn't take much. Uh, arguably, if we have something that's not a necessity, like a second pair of shoes, uh, we're going to be in the top one percent in the history of the world. We live better than the kings of old, just based on you know indoor plumbing and um, the internet and access to modern medicine. You know, it's kind of nuts the stuff we take for granted and just assume. Um, but when we look historically, um, or even just globally right now, if you want, want to just kind of ignore the history of the world, look globally, um, to be in the top 10%, you, you, you don't need much income. I think it's somewhere around $34,000 a year to be in the top 10% of income. Um, it's it's kind of nuts. <laughs>
1: you don't think about that. I never thought about Kings not having indoor plumbing. Mm. Okay, we're gonna move on for that conversation. Okay, so you've got these eight money myths, and I want to I want to go through them really quick in the last minute and a half of this segment, and we're gonna go through them in detail in the last two segments of the show. So the eight money myths: Number one, if I had more money, I'd act differently than I do now. Number two, if I had more money, I'd be more generous in my giving while spending about the same. Number three, having more money will make my problems go away. Sorry, I laughed. Number four, (laughs) just a little bit more is enough. Number five, I'd feel secure if I had more money, or money provides security. Number six, money provides happiness and contentment. Number seven, we'd fight less about money if we had more. Number eight, the grass is greener on the other side. Todd, these these are amazing myths. How in the world did you come up with this list?
2: Oh, I talked to a lot of wise people. Um, I I interviewed probably about 100 families um, for writing the process of this book. And I listened to every sermon I can get my hands on about money from pastors. And uh, it's just been fun to put together.
1: The eight money myths. One of the chapters in his excellent book, Navigating Life with More Than Enough. Navigating Life with More Than Enough. If you want to get a copy of the book, call the the listener line, 866-713-9675. Todd, what is Family Meridian all about? What do you specialize in?
2: Yeah, we, we like pulling families together when money easily pulls them apart. We're all about helping families thrive who've been entrusted with much.
1: I just love it. You get the, it's not even a 30-second intromercial. It's like 15 seconds. That's pretty good. <laughs> Alright, so, what is that? what do you really do? Okay, because the 15-second intromercial was really nice, but what do you do? Give me an example of something you've done helping a family out in the last year. Don't mention names, of course, but give me an example of something you've done to help people.
2: Yeah. So we've put together a couple of books uh, from the center standpoint, from the family Meridian standpoint, and uh, we like to host events. And so a large part of what we do is working with um, the professionals who, who work in these families and just connecting them together in a network and uh, allowing families to get a vision for what the preferred future could look like. And so we host an event uh, last year. We had uh, a lot of our families come together and one of our speakers uh, said basically that he wanted to give all his money away, uh, his whole business. And one of the guys sitting in the room goes, I, I don't know, I've got this big business and I'm excited about it, you know, but I don't need more money. I don't want to grow it. I don't want to give it to my kids to kind of wreck them. And hears this guy who's very wealthy, uh, give away his business. And he goes, you know, I think that's exactly what I want to do. I want to give away my entire business. Um, and he, he was kind of worried about growing into to bigger markets because he didn't want to grow this thing any larger. Cause once you have more than you need, you know, more is just not going to solve problems. In fact, it exacerbates a few of them. And so he, he decided that he's going to grow because a speaker again said, I want to make as much money as I can so I can give as much money as I can. And uh, so he goes, that's exactly it. I'm going to redeem my business. I'm going to redeem the construction business I'm in by doing as much as I can to give away money for the kingdom. And is getting pretty radical about his giving style. In fact, he's living on a, a set cap uh, instead of a percentage of his income. He said, I'm going to I'm going to limit what I spend on my family to X. And it's it's nice salary because he's, he's doing really well in his business, but he's still limiting his income to somewhere around $100,000 and giving away everything else, uh, as well as the, the value of his business if it, uh, and when it gets sold. So kind of fun. But that, that's kind of the, the people we work with who are excited about doing some, honestly, pretty radical things uh, for giving. Uh, but more so, we're focused on the giving side. We love those stories as well, but we also love helping families just find family unity. Uh, one of our advocates was down in Texas, and he likes working with broken families and was just talking with one of his best clients. And he went to celebrate recovery with the dad and the daughter and actually the tax attorney ended up joining him um, because that's the kind of stuff they're doing is the the relationships that surround wealth and estate planning. And so we love helping families thrive uh, in the unique circumstances that having more than enough provides. All
1: right. We're talking with Todd DeKreiter about eight money myths, just one of the chapters out of his book, Navigating Life with More Than Enough. All right. These eight money myths. Number one, if I had more money, I would act differently than I do now. Why is that a myth?
2: Well, honestly, um, it's just not true based on statistics. Um, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt at uh, 4,000 a month, you know, you get 40,000 a month, you'll still be up to your eyeballs in debt. It's just, uh, we, we think we'd change on that, but it's kind of like the frog in the pot, right? When you start to turn things up, it happens usually slowly at a time. Uh, if you put a frog in a boiling pot of water, it'll jump out, but slowly turn it up over time. And it just stays in there until it's cooked. Um, a lot of us usually experience these little um, you know, increases at a time. And by the time we get to finally the point of, you know, I'm going, I, I've never dreamed I'd be in this situation making this much money as I am. But yet I'm still like I was before. We, we just keep the same habits unless we take a radical decision and put a stake in the ground and say, I'm not doing this. I'm moving this way. Uh, we'll just keep acting how we always have.
1: That's really a reflection of the heart, isn't it?
2: All of this stuff is about the heart. Yeah. So, um, to deal with money, um, you need to get down to the, the deeper level. It, it's, it's numbers and it's math and it's whatever, but the real issues about money are, are all related to the heart. You know, we just said in the last half of the program, uh, that in sermon Mount Jesus said the chief competitor basically towards a love towards him is, is money. So you can't serve God and money. He didn't say the God and the devil. He said, you can't serve God and money. Um, there's something about our stuff that our savior identified early on that we're going to have a big struggle with. And it's honestly the chief competitor towards us loving him more of the money and the things that combine.
1: And it's so true. And it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, whether it's little or a lot that it. It impacts well. That's one of your other myths. Okay, I'm not going go to go there. All right. So number one, the myth is if I had more money, I'd act more differently than I do now. I'd act differently than I do now. It's a myth. So start changing habits today. Do you help people change habits? You got suggest. I mean, in your book, navigating life with more than enough. Do you give suggestions to people of, of, of what to start changing now so that when you have uh, when you become a high capacity person, you're not wasting your money.
2: Yeah, it, it's all about what we're doing with our heart, right? And so if what we're doing is working on surrendering more of our life to Jesus, right, which is kind of the daily life, that's the sanctification. We have a point in time where we accept Jesus. Sanctification is living that out. Uh, Martin Luther is actually pretty famous for saying there's three conversions necessary for the man, the head, the heart, and the pocketbook. Um, we <laughs> need not to bring that. all of us to Jesus. Actually, he said the purse, but you know, it's not quite as, as modern. So I think he would have said pocketbook today. Um, but but that that's what we're looking at is, is we need to surrender all of our life to Jesus. And money's a part of that. And it's a weird part of that. It's a part we don't talk about often in church. Right. We're starting to have accountability on the conversation of sex. Um, but let's say to your next small group of, hey, let's bring our credit card statements and net worth statements in and talk about money. <laughs> and nobody's showing up. Right. It's a weird area. So it's not a surprise that we're getting our our lunch eaten by greed and materialism because we're not talking about it. We're in alone and in isolation and, and silent. Um, So I I think we need to start breaking that and discussing some of these things with not everybody, obviously, but find a trusted person and, and think bullets before cannons don't dump and verbal vomit, everything to them. But, but find one person that you can trust that can hold you accountable, that knows your heart, that wants the best for you and say, Hey, I heard this really weird dude on the radio talking, and he kind of shared we should talk about money and kind of have some transparency around financial stuff and maybe even accountability. I don't know what it looks like, but you know, I'd be interested in having a discussion if you are, because honestly, I want to honor Jesus with my whole life, and money is a part of that. And it's not for a reason that Jesus said the money's our chief competitor of our heart. And just start a conversation see where it goes, right? First Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation is taken. You accept what is common to man. Um, it's not like when you open up about struggling with greed or materialism, they're going to go, oh, no, I can't. I can't relate to that one. Right. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, me too. I, I may be in a little bit different way, but I can relate to you totally. Um, if you pick the right person, they're going to open up and go, hey, me too. I don't, I don't know what this looks like either, but um, but I'm open for it. So it's it starts with having some sort of accountability and openness about having a discussion with somebody just because like we shared before in Luke 12, it's uh, Jesus says, watch out and be on your guard against all forms of greed. It, it, it's sneaky.
1: Hmm. All right. Myth number two, if I had more money, I'd be more generous in my giving while spending about the
2: same. Uh, Yeah, research is definitely not in your favor on that one. So what do you mean? Uh, if you look at those who are the most generous, it's actually the poorest among us. Um, when you're making about 45000 a year, you give about 4% of your income, percentage-wise. When you make about 200000 a year, you only give away 2.4% of your income. So, uh, if we look at America, we're not doing great on that. The more money you make, the less percentage-wise you give. But we just think it's impressive because we're given a larger number. But percentage-wise of our income is not exactly the case. So, if people don't
1: establish a giving heart when they're making a little money, when they may be blessed. I mean, God just said, hey, you know, I'm, I wanna see that you're faithful with little before I can give you more. We need to learn to be faithful with little and and be generous with the little that we have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, what's, it's the generosity is is not limited to dollar amounts, right? It's, it's sometimes in the church, we talk about our gifts and we, we ask questions on money to sort people who have the spiritual gift of generosity. And that's not the case, right? Look at the widow's mite. She gave out of the little she had, Right, it, she, was, she was destitute poor. There's a different Greek word for that. She was actually more of a poverty that's kind of more of the, I think, Walmart greeter is what my friend, um, the generosity monk says. Uh, he, he calls it, the, it's more of a Walmart greeter mindset of what the, the widow's mite gal was sitting on there. And so looking at that, uh, she was hand to mouth, right? She had very little and she gave all she had. And that's one of the first examples Jesus highlights in regards to generosity is is somebody who's poor, not the guy who's out of the, the, the top end. He, he highlights from the bottom.
1: Right. right. OK, so myth number three, if I have having more money will make my problems go away. Myth number three, having more money will make my problems go away.
2: Yeah, this is funny because it's partially true because certain certain problems do go away. Right. If you've got enough money to pay the bills, uh, you can go out to eat or you can you can solve certain problems. Um, But I I just think that that the deeper problems we struggle with are not related to money. It's just the arena of which we fight. Uh, We can quantify money. We can quantify dollars. And it's more about priorities than it is about what we're actually fighting about. And so I, I just think it creates some more problems and even oftentimes with zeros of pressure behind it. And so we actually fight even more, is what they say, as the higher up you go on the income brackets. Huh, so it
1: doesn't make your problems go away. It doesn't. is isn't. It. I mean, like you said, it eliminates some problems.
2: Oh, it totally does. Yeah, yeah.
1: But it really creates a lot more, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. It just, you, you, you look at, again, the the stuff that happens with like the ultra high net worth and and the trust space is kind of hidden from the public eye by the documents they create. So look at celebrities or entertainers or inheritance winners or lottery winners, sorry, same thing virtually. Um, But you look at them and the stories are not great, right? You look at the the athlete who blows it out, right? The 30 for 30 that talked about how many NFL and basketball players, whatever that are broke X money years after they leave the NFL, it's, it's staggering. And so the problems are, are definitely there. Um, and it, their heart issues is the problem. And so if we're not dealing with that level of a, of a problem or a solution to it, um, then we're not, we're not going to solve anything. If, we, if we're just dealing with numbers on a spreadsheet, you know, it's, your accountant's not going to help you solve this problem. Your pastor and Jesus need to. You need to get down to the soul level stuff and solve the answers there, not from the standpoint of, of I just need to, to figure out how to invest better in my IRA. You know, that, that's not the issue.
1: But people need to understand the truth of this, that, Having more money will not make your problems go away. And and that's why this is a myth. Having more money will make your problems go away is untrue. It will make some problems go away but you get new ones to replace it. Number 4. Just a little bit more is enough. I think it was Rockefeller, isn't he the one that said, "Hey, if I just had a little bit more, how much is enough?" he was asked. Just a little bit more. How wh- why is that true?
2: Yeah, he's actually pretty famous. Yeah. So he was actually asked how much is enough. And his response was just a little bit more. It's actually pretty famous. What most people don't know about that is his net worth at that point, was at its height. And he was one and a half to 2% of the nation's GDP when he said that. And so um, from the probably one of the most wealthy men who's ever lived, he's in the top 10 for sure. Um, He always wanted a little bit more. Right. And just think about that yourself for a second. If you wanted to accomplish all that you wanted to accomplish in your life financially, um, how much would you need? And the answer is simply more. Right. It's we rarely have this idea of our our mindset to go. You know what? I I think I've got enough. You know, and and you do. You have enough for a certain lifestyle. You have enough. uh, You know, there's actually another comedian. I forget his name, but he said, I got enough money. All I need. And if I die today at 4 p.m. Um, So that is true. We have enough for a certain lifestyle, a certain limit. Um, But this always wanting more is is an appetite. So spending is an appetite. And the more you spend, the more you want to spend and so more is is never going to be found. Talking today with Todd DeCriter about eight money
1: myths, myths that are true for you and for me and that person of high capacity. I didn't mean to do that, but it came out really nice like that. He wrote this book Navigating Life with More Than Enough. I want you to get a copy of that. You can check it out on Amazon or on your website. Isn't there a I think there was a website I found navigatinglifewithmorethanenough.com or Nav- yeah. yeah, something like that, right?
2: Yeah, just a short sight to kind of describe the book and and let people know where it's at.
1: Todd is the president of Family Meridian, and we're going to talk about Family Meridian in just a minute, but just give us your 15-second infomercial on Family Meridian.
2: Yeah, we, we help families stay together when money so easily pulls them apart. I love that.
1: So we're in the middle of the money myths. The first four were, if I had more money, I'd act differently than I do now. If I had more money, I'd be more generous in my giving while spending about the same. Having more money will make my problems go away. And number four, just a little bit more is enough. We've determined those are all myths. They're fables. They're untrue. Number five, I'd feel secure if I had more money. (laughs) Why is that not
2: true? Well, it's just the funny thing is why do then the rich people spend so much time and energy protecting it? Uh, there's a whole field and a discipline of asset protection uh, that lawyers love to help you out on. And, and it's just not the case. Um, I've found that anxiety increases. Um, and so I, I, there's a, a pastor um, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but William Carl Kirkside, I think is how you say it. He said, our problem is not the high cost of living, but the cost of high living. And we we have an appetite that grows and we just want to keep spending and and security is not found in that security is found uh, on the heart level stuff. It's not found in simply having more more zeros in my bank account.
1: You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight these eight money myths on I work for Him is that so many of us think if we could just make a little bit more money, life would be easier. If I could just get that raise, life would be easier. And so often our focus as Christ followers, we try to attach the American dream with Christianity. And that's not at all true. And it's because Jesus was so concerned about our money and possessions becoming an issue for us and getting in the way of a deep personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. He spent so much time talking about it, and that's why I wanted to make sure I talked about these myths, because every one of us listening has struggled at one point in time, or right now, is struggling with an issue with money and possessions. And and you talked about the car thing. I was a car guy. I actually had a goal, Todd Dick to drive a different car every week, and I did it for 15 years as a car dealer. That was my goal. I wanted to drive a different car. I sold cars professionally on the side so that I could drive a different car, because I liked driving cars it was a sickness, but I've been healed. I drove a minivan for the last 10 years. All right. right, f- <laughs> That's right. Money doesn't provide a security. That's what we just determined. Number six myth, money provides happiness and contentment. Why is yeah. that a myth? What's the deal there?
2: We want to think that's the case, right? And, and uh, there's just an urge to, to think that way, but it's just not true. Um, actually, there's a psychologist, James Grubman, who argues that once you make over 75000 of income, actually more money actually decreases happiness. How is that uh, possible? It, it, contentment and, and happiness are, are learned attitudes, right? That's the the passage that Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 4, um, right? The, the the famous passage is, I I have uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a couple of verses before that are about contentment. So he says, I have learned the secret of being content, uh, going happy and unfulfilled. I've done all this, but the secret is I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's, it's a learned attitude. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. So we somehow need to learn that secret and money doesn't usually help that.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. And happiness. How many? I mean, I can't tell you how many high capacity people I've met who are miserable and and it never there's no satisfaction at all. There's discontentment kills them. Literally. I think it does. I mean, I I I I have watched more high capacity people who lost everything in the 2008 crash be much more content broke than they ever were when they were. High capacity.
2: Well, you, just, you learn all the things that you could live without um, and the things that we have surrounding us that are just there and stuff and kind of numb and, and are, are kind of way we medicate, so to speak, uh, the <laughs> stuff that's going on inside. We, we
1: money, cate is what you're saying. We not medicate, we money. Yes,
2: I like that phrase.
1: All right, well, you can use it anytime you we, want. We coined it here. All right, the number seven myth we'd fight less. My wife and I, we'd fight less if we just had more money. Yeah. That, that uh, we, Martha and I do marriage mentoring. I know that one's a big fat lie.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, so we fight, we we said previously, we fight about the disagreeing priorities, right? And that disagreeing priorities aren't going away. Um, it just now, instead of fighting about, you know, a a bounced check or $10, you know, or whether we can eat out or you get to go golfing or I get to go to the manicure, whatever the, the issues are now, now we just fight about with larger amounts larger mounts. And and still, the same fight is there. And as you can imagine, when the dollar mounts go up, it's usually not less stress and less excitement and energy and passion behind it. It's usually more.
1: Yeah, the Lexus versus the Mercedes versus the Land Rover or the new Jag SUV, or maybe the Maserati SUV, or maybe yeah, I, yeah, I, the, the cars slipping back in. Yeah, sorry, I know. I know. I love cars. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. So, let me, that's number seven. We'd fight less. That's obviously a miss number eight. This is my favorite one. The grass is greener on the other side. Why is that a money myth? And what the heck are they talking about?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting now in the light of, of, of Instagram, Facebook culture, uh, we get to see the highlight reel of everybody else. Right. And I, I don't put on uh, Facebook, I just yell at my kids feel like a great dad. Right. I, I put, you know, my, my wife doesn't put the, you know, leftovers again on, on Facebook, she's like Pinterest meals. You know, that's what we get to see. So we're not comparing the right things to begin with. Um, so I, I call that the Camelot syndrome, honestly, because if you look at Camelot, everything looks good on the outside and the round table and the nobility and all that stuff. But reality is that Lancelot was sleeping with the King's wife and they're, and they you know, fighting all the time. So this, this veneer we put out there on Facebook and social media is, is simply that. And what we do is we often compare, the the mundane stuff uh of our world to the highlight reel of theirs and one it's just it's just not fair it's not real and and it's not true and i honestly as a midwest boy i grew up next to a bunch of farms you could drive past the farm that just put they will call it fertilizer on the ground right um usually the field that has green usually has a lot of crap in it
1: (laughs) well and i also grew up in the midwest but i grew up more in the town environment where people had Septic systems in their backyard, and what I realized is that the reason people had greener grass was because their septic tank was leaky. Yeah, I remember playing football, playing football in people's backyards, and like, oh, why is the grass wet? Oh, that's disgusting. But the grass was very green. Okay, it is the eight money myths. They're there, they are laid out for you. They're just money won't solve your problems, it won't bring you happiness. It is a tool that God gives you. I mean, God increases your status of living to be a blessing to others, not to increase your status. God gives you how about he gives us an increase to be an increase in the status of our giving, not to increase our status of living. It's not all for us. He gives it to us to give to other people. Isn't that true?
2: Absolutely. Actually, Randy Corn has a quote around that that says, instead of increasing our standard of living, why don't we increase our standard of giving? And that's exactly a great question. the thing is, I think, what if we put the burden of proof not on how much we give, but how much we keep and spend on us? I think that's more what the New Testament describes about from a generosity standpoint.
1: So we've generated a lot of thought, I'm sure, for our listeners today as they've listened to the whole show, talking with Todd DeKreiter from Family Meridian. Who's the perfect client, the perf- perfect person to get in touch with you and connect with family Meridian.
2: Well, uh, we love to help family businesses and um, our target audiences is, is we call them high capacity folks that um, have to deal with estate planning issues. Honestly, that's kind of uh, what we like to deal with and the unique challenges that they face. We'd love to have all families thrive for sure, but that's just kind of our unique challenge of how we've been positioned from our board of, of helping those entrusted with much that have estate planning issues. <laughs>
1: The, one of the big things that I caught when when we did our pre-interview it was the impact so many wealthy people, oh, excuse me, high capacity people, are so concerned they're going to screw up their kids if they pass on the money or the reins of the business to them. How do they keep that from happening?
2: Yeah, you've got to have intentionality to it. Um, you've got to focus on the non-financial parts about money. Uh, we think there's kind of five aspects to money or five capitals. Um, there's definitely capitals in regards to our financial pieces of it. But I think, honestly, uh, wealth's a lot more than money. We have spiritual capital that goes to it. It's, it's what do we do um, from our wisdom and our power that we're passing on to our kids. We have relational capital. It's relationships, physical capital, our time and energy, intellectual capital, right, what we get to do, our creativity, all that kind of things, and our financial capital. So uh, we think about giving an inheritance. We want a full inheritance. So not just if money were fire, which I think it is, it has an ability to be a blessing and a curse. We don't want to just pass the financial pieces of it. We want to pass a full inheritance. So all the capital not just the financial one. And, and that's really legacy, isn't it? It totally is. Yeah, legacy is, is, is exactly that. It's focused on passing a full inheritance. It's focused on my relationships, my values, the family story, making sure my kids have a great work ethic, not just, you know, paying the bills to, to provide for their college education.
1: So, if somebody is a high capacity individual today and they've had, they've struggled with some of these myths, they've, they've struggled with understanding what they should do with what they've been entrusted with, they need to get in touch with Family Meridian. What's the best way besides the website, familymeridian.com? Is there a phone number? they can call or is that the best way to contact you
2: yeah website's probably the best from an intake standpoint um for getting a hold of us and getting more information about what we're doing and some of our events um but that, that's probably the best way familymeridian.com
1: all right todd decryder with familymeridian.com thanks for being on i work for him Day. thanks for sharing your book navigating life with more than enough and the eight money myths thank you todd decryder
2: great being with you jim thanks a lot of fun great easy conversation
1: please check out todd online familymeridian.com that's familymeridian.com and get a copy of his book navigating life with more than enough really great conversation money messes so many people up you've been listening to i work for him with your host jim brangenberg i'm a christ follower my workplace it's my mission field, but ultimately i work for him